All right, so go open up your Bibles, get your notes out. We're finishing up a series called Unstuck. Touch your neighbor and say, you need to get unstuck. We don't want you to be stuck in regret, guilt, in the same old patterns. And so this series is all about teaching you how to find that life God wants you to have. Now, before we get into the last, the fourth and final of this series, let me tell you what we're talking about next week. Next week is... And, and listen, I'm not one for hyperbole and just saying stuff that doesn't matter, but next week is probably the most consequential thing this church has done in the last decade, okay? It's a pretty big deal because this has been a pretty big deal church for a while, right? But what we're going to start tomorrow, not tomorrow, but next Sunday, is the biggest thing we've done in more than a decade, I can't explain it today. You just have to trust me. You need to be here next week. And if you cannot cancel your plans and you can't do that, you need to watch it online. But make sure next week and the next four weeks total, we're going to roll out this idea that we're going to have church. Okay, it's going to be church and I'm going to be preaching. But in it is packed in the vision for our church for the next three years. Where's God te- leading us? What's God doing? What has God said to us? Hey, God has been speaking to us. Uh, and, and he's been kind of overloading me with a download of vision. And I need you to catch that vision. I want to pour it out to you. I want you to hold on to it tight. And so that starts next Sunday. So I, I, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on, but if you have to cancel stuff, if you have to change your plans, if you have to do whatever you have to do to make sure you don't miss the next four weeks, please don't miss the next four weeks. I'll just tell you what it's called. It's called Move from a Moment to a Movement. Everybody say that with me. Say Move from a Moment to a Movement. All right, you need to hear what that's all about. It starts next Sunday. All right, today, we're going to, you know, we talked about uh, one of those things that gets you stuck is that you, you have a hard time forgiving people, and, and, and you know, you just harbor that, and it, and it hurts you. Today, I want to talk about the one thing that's even harder than that, and that is forgiving yourself. Let's talk about regrets. Let's talk about that if only I had whatever, right? Everybody say, if only. A lot of us live with a lot of if only. If only I hadn't said that. And if only I had a thought before I did that. If only I had gotten more information before I jumped into that business deal. If only I had stopped and prayed before I did whatever I did. And, and we live with that. And, and you know, it will make you sick. Did you know regrets will absolutely make you sick? It will make you depressed. It will raise your blood pressure. It will close your world in around you. And you'll end up being this like David who once said, I'm drowning in my sin. I feel like I'm flooded with guilt and remorse and regret. He says, I'm utterly worn out and crushed. That was because he he didn't know how to deal with regrets in his own life. Tell you, I want to talk about that. How to deal with regrets. You know, you'll you'll torpedo your future, poisoning your future. If you if you don't know how to deal with regret, you'll you'll regret. You'll say things like, Well, you know, I just don't deserve a better life. I, I, no reason. I, of course, I didn't get the promotion. I don't deserve a promotion after the kind of person I've been. Well, there's, there's no wonder why my marriage failed. I don't deserve to have a good marriage because of what mistakes I made in the past. Let me tell you, those are all lies. Lies from the enemy. Did you know what the Bible says about your enemy, the devil? He's a spirit. He walks about. He whispers in your ears. And the Bible says that when he speaks, he lies because lying is his native language. So so you can rest assured there is always a a voice whispering lies into your ears at all times. And regret is the doorway. Everybody say regret's the doorway. That's where he gets in. You're constantly thinking about what you've done wrong. So today I'm going to talk to you about, you know, how we normally deal with regret, which is not good. And then I'm going to talk about how we ought to deal with regret, which is the right way. And then I want to talk about what I think Jesus 
wants to do today with your regret. Everybody say, I'm ready. Bring it on. All right, so we start with Psalm 32. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and sins are covered. That's where I want to be. I want to be that person who knows it's gone, it's behind me. And I don't want to do these, three, these two mistakes. Here's what we usually do with regret. Number one, write this down, we, bur- we bury regret. And actually, well-meaning people tell you to do that. You ever been told, man, you got to bury the past? The past is the past, you got to bury the past. Well, if all you do is bury the past, you know what's going to happen? The past is going to resurrect itself. It's coming back because you didn't deal with it. There's some things in that past that are ugly and and nasty, and they need to be dealt with. So Psalm 19 and 2 says, who can discern their own errors? And he speaks to God, and he says, God, forgive my hidden faults. Another translation says, deliver me from my secret faults. See, we all have little secrets, blind spots, and we've got to deal with those things. They create the the turmoil that we regret in our life, the, the little blind spots. And see, if we don't know how to deal with it, what we'll do is we'll minimize it. Well, it's not that big a deal. You know, we'll just act like it's not that big a deal or, 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 or you know, we'll, we'll rationalize it and say, well, you know, at least it's not as bad as this other person. And then if we keep going down that path because it doesn't fix anything and it still hurts us, what we do is we compromise. Everybody say compromise. We compromise. We finally say, you don't say this out loud, but there's this kind of this mechanism in your brain and heart that starts to say, well, you know, this hurts too bad to keep making this same mistake. So what, you know what? It's just not a mistake. It's just not a sin. It's just okay. That's why the 10th lie is a whole lot easier than the first lie. Thank you for not saying amen because nobody has ever lied in here. Except for like right now when you agreed with that statement. Okay. And we we begin to compromise. That's what happens when you just bury it. You conceal it or you hide it. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one that confesses, everybody say confess. That's a beautiful word. I'm going to explain it later. If you confess and renounce it, you find mercy. So we're not going to bury it. And the second thing, we blame. That's what we love to do. And that's not going to fix it either. We blame other people. Psalm 50 and 2 says, you're ready to accuse your own relatives and find fault with them. David was doing what a lot of us do. We, we, we find somebody close by and go, no, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's that person's fault. And that's usually your spouse or someone you love very close to you. It was, it was, uh, it was Adam's choice. It, it, the very first family ever created found somebody close by. God's walking in the garden. Why did you eat the forbidden fruit? Eve's like, it's that snake over there in that tree. You know, just quickly blame somebody close to you. And, and, and Adam, remember, he said, it's that woman you gave me. He, he, he blamed God and the woman, right? Because that's what we do. Those are the only two people he'd ever talked to was God and the woman. So he blamed it on God and the woman. That's not going to fix your problem, blaming somebody else. And see, a lot of times we, we, we use blame as a balancing rod, right? So, so over, here is, over here is what I did. Man, that's, that's bad stuff, and I feel terrible about it. But here's you over there, and I'm going to say, well, at least, you know, you know what you said was so-and-so, and I feel a little better about myself. You don't have to say amen because I'm telling the truth. I, I can't believe I did this, but you know what? You did that. Oh, yeah, I said this, but you said that. And, and, you, and it just kind of makes me feel a little bit better if you did the same thing or you did something worse. And, hey, it doesn't heal anybody. 
Then it doesn't fix me. It doesn't help the other person. That You don't want to be caught playing the blame game. That's not how you handle regret. Now, here's what I know. The Bible makes it very clear. You're not supposed to walk. You know why regret hurts so bad? Why it's so painful? Because you were never meant to walk in it. Regret is like putting your hand on a hot stove. God put feeling in that hand so you'd know, hey, get away from that. And that's why regret hurts so bad. God wants you to get away from it. God wants you to learn how to deal with it and get it out of your life. And so I have a suggestion for you today. I want to suggest that you make a decision right now. You're not leaving this building. You're not leaving this worship experience, if you're watching online, with any regret in your life. Can I challenge you to make that decision? I mean, well, preacher, you just don't know what I didn't know, and you don't know what I did either. But let's just say God's bigger than what you did or what I have done or what anybody else has done. Can I get an amen if God's bigger? What if you decided right now, it's not God's will for me to walk with regret or guilt or shame, and I'm not leaving this room today until all of that is gone. So what do I do to make that happen? Number one, write this down, admit it. That's the first thing, admit it. David said, I recognize my faults. I'm always conscious of my sins. There's no blame there. He's like, I'm here, and it's not God's fault. It's not somebody. It's not Bathsheba. It's not anybody. It's all me. I did this. I own this. Psalm 32 and 5, then I confessed my sins to God, to you, God. I did not conceal my wrongdoings. I decided to confess them to you, and you forgave my sins. Now, y'all, that's where we've got to get. That's painful, and it's not easy, but that's where the healing begins. But see, here's the thing you need to know about your sins. When you admit your sins, God will not be surprised. You're not going to be like, you know, God, I did so and so and so. I want to pray. I want to ask forgiveness. God's going to go, no. You can't. There's no way you did that. You go to Daystar. God's not going to say that. He already knew that. God's up here holding a big wad of healing. And when you ask for forgiveness, he's going to start dumping healing on you. He's not going to freak you out. I'm not going to get mad at you. You're not going to drop wrath. See, the thing about wrath is you brought your own wrath on yourself. Come on, I'm, I'm, I need more amen than that. You brought the wrath. You, it's sowing and reaping. God's not up here going, you, know, like you guys think God's like playing asteroids on you, shooting stuff at you. That's not what's happening. God is up here going, hey, quit hurting yourself. Man, don't go there anymore. I got an umbrella to protect you from that kind of stuff. I got healing. It's right over here. You got to come to me. And when you admit it, you initiate that relationship with God where you can confess. Everybody say, confess. Confess. Now, in the original biblical language, the the Greek language, confess uh, confess is the word homologio. It's a Greek word, homologio. And it's two words. it's It's a compound word. And it means homo means same. And logio means speech. And it literally means when you confess to God, you speak the same language that he speaks about it. So, so confession to God is agreeing with God about the sin of your life. It's, a, it's not saying, well, I, I did a little bit, but look at these people over here. You know? It's not saying, well, you know, I'm not a great husband, but you ought to see that wife I'm living with. God, you, you, know, you couldn't put up with her either. That's not what confession is. Confession is not like two seconds of, of confession of your sins and eight minutes of talking about everybody around. That's not confession. Confession is owning it up and, and agreeing with what God says about your sin. And what God says is, hey, you're better than that. You are not meant for that. I designed you to be above that, and, and I've got higher plans for you. That's what confession looks like. And when we sin, we have two options, and they are confession and condemnation. We've got to choose confession. Can I hear an amen? 
So I admit it, and then secondly, I've got to accept forgiveness. Now, a lot of people pray and ask for forgiveness, but they have a really hard time feeling that they've been forgiven. And, and that's why you need to understand Romans 8 and 1. And it says now there's no condemnation. Everybody say no. No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I love, love, love this verse. There's no condemnation, no guilt, no regret to people who are in Christ. Now, would you believe if I were to tell you today that, that, that right here in front of you, I have no guilt in my life. I don't feel guilty about anything, like nothing at all, nothing that I've done in the past, no mistake that I've made. I don't feel guilty about that at all. Now, now some of you, you may think that that's an arrogant statement. That's some kind of a narcissism in me. And actually, to have no guilt in your life, I really thought about it this week. Like, how could you have no guilt in your life? Well, you could be a sociopath who has no conscience whatsoever. That's the first thing you could be. And I'm not a sociopath. Okay? Secondly, you could have never made a mistake or ever sinned ever in your life. So that's why you have no guilt. That's not me either. The only other option is that Romans 8 and 1 is the truth of God and it is the power of God in your life. That when you confess, when you come to him, he literally can cleanse you and remove all the guilt and the stains of your past and all the regrets are gone and truly there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. I'm going to tell you which it is. I'm not a sociopath. I'm not perfect. But the word of God is absolute truth and it's alive and it is what has set me free. And he wants to set you free. He wants you to stop the guilty feelings. He wants you to stop the regret and believing that you're no good or nothing good can happen in your life. Some people wonder, well, that, that, that makes it too easy. How's that possible? Well, let me explain it to you with this little tool right here. How many of you ever, did you ever play with an Etch-A-Sketch as a kid? Did anybody ever play with an Etch-A-Sketch? Those are the old people. I found this out this morning. Because uh, th there's a new Etch-A-Sketch that was made for millennials. It's called the Magna Doodle. Because the Etch-A-Sketch is too hard. I'm not kidding. Remember the Etch-A-Sketch got these two knobs on it? I never could make a circle with that thing. I just, no good at it. So the Magna Doodle is a lot easier, man. You just draw on there. Draw on the Magna Doodle, and you doodle it, and your mom's going, yay, you're an artist, all this kind of stuff. So, so I'm going to show you how God releases the regrets of your life with this Magna Doodle. And, 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 and I, I want to say this, that I'm the worst artist in the whole history of this whole church. Nobody's ever come in here who draws worse than I do. But I'm going to draw you what my sin looks like. Somebody has not paid attention yet. You're like, I'm watching this. Preacher's drawing a picture of his sin. I want to know what that sucker's been doing. This is what it looks like to me. It's actually I'm drawing a monster, a big, nasty, awful monster. This is what my sin, are y'all ready for it? Everybody count to three. Rawr. Isn't that scary looking? That's my sin right there. He's cross-eyed, he's got boogers in his nose and jagged teeth. Can y'all see that? That's, I don't know how well the Magna Doodle is showing up. Yeah, I can see that. Doesn't he look really bad? He looks really bad. Let me tell you, this is your sin. Man, this is the mess that you're in. This is the stuff that you're doing. And here's the beautiful thing. Watch what God's grace does. It's not really a surprise. You know it. You've seen the Magna Doodle. God's grace goes, boom, all your sin is gone. Come on, God, give God praise for taking your nasty sin. 
That's actually the best way I can describe how God deals with your sin. Whatever you write on here, man, I don't care what it is, lying, depression, drugs, alcoholism, you know, uh, sexual sins, boom, God can make it all go away. Thank you, Michael. And see, what God wants you to do is get to the place where you let him do that. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the Bible tells us that we have been justified. Everybody say justified. It's a theological term that, that describes your standing with God, the way God sees you. You looked all nasty and filthy, but now in the eyes of God, you look clean. You've been entirely wiped clean. That means justified. Now, when I was uh, in, in, in just kids' church, a little kid, my aunt taught kids' church, and she explained that justified means that I, it's just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. Just if I'd never sinned. Just wiped clean, just like that magna doodle, that there's no sin in my life at all. Now, since then, I've gone on to Bible college, and I've gone to seminary and literally learned what justification means from world-class theologians. And you know what I found out it means? Just if I'd never sinned. Only at several thousand dollars to find it out from those guys. And kids' church, you didn't have to pay any, just a penny march, you know. But it's the same truth that being set free from God is washing you entirely. Now, now, how does God do that instantly? Everybody say instantly. <clears throat> In a moment. He does it just like that. It doesn't take him long. He doesn't delay. He doesn't wait and make you squirm. And he doesn't, you know. See, when we forgive people, if someone finally comes and asks forgiveness, we kind of like to enjoy it, don't we? Well, I just kind of let them just, you know, just step on them for a little while. Turn that knife. Just, God doesn't do that. Instantly, the moment you ask for forgiveness, you're wiped clean. And it's entirely different in him. In fact, you know what? If, if we learn how to forgive the way God forgives, if we could forgive like he does, it'd probably be easier for us to receive the forgiveness that he gives. For some of us, it's hard to believe that, that forgiveness actually works like that. That you could actually be forgiven like that, that seems too easy. You know what would make it seem easier to you? Is if you easily gave forgiveness. It helped you to understand it better. It helped you to accept it. The truth of the matter is, it's far easier for God to forgive than it is for us to receive forgiveness. And if we just receive it, it would change everything. Psalms 103 and 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from him. That's God saying, you're never going to see that sin again. It's as far as the east is from the west. And then Isaiah says, God, you've put my sins behind your back. That's God saying, I'm never going to see your sins again. You're never going to see your sins again, and I'm never going to see your sins again. In fact, Jesus made clear right after the famous John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right after that, the next verse he said was, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, it's never God's design for, for Jesus to come in and point out every mistake of your life, condemn you to hell, and make you feel bad. In other words, God nailed Jesus to the cross so you'll stop nailing yourself to the cross. God crucified his son so you wouldn't crucify yourself. So what you need to do is admit the sin. Don't bury it. Don't blame somebody else. Admit it. It's yours. Own it. And then accept his forgiveness and here's the third thing you have to do. Everybody say, focus forward. you, you got to stop looking behind you. Isaiah 43 and 18. But the Lord says, do not cling to events of the past 
or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch out for the new thing I'm about to do. Watch out for the new thing. The new thing's out front. It's in front of you. I don't know what your next step is supposed to be, but I know where your next step is. It's in front of you. It's not behind you. It's not looking back on the mistakes that you made. It's not even going back and trying to fix all that. It's out in front of you. And it's never too late to start your second chance. You know, the Bible's full of second chance stories. It's really a part of God's nature. It's what he does. You think about Abraham and you think about Jacob and you think about Moses and Paul and all the people of the Bible. You really are hard-pressed to find a great story of something amazing God did in someone's life without there being a reboot somewhere along the way. Well, why don't you start your reboot today? Why don't you just make up your mind that today I'm going to start fresh. Stop focusing on where your feet are located and look at where they're pointed because that's really what matters. Not where you are right now, but where you're going. Because it's not where you start, but it's, it's where you finish. And you're not finished yet. And so God wants to do some things with your regrets. He wants to deal with your regrets. <clears throat> he wants you to recognize today that what we tend to do with our regrets is, is we, we bury them and just hope they go away, and that doesn't work. We, we blame somebody else and try to feel better about them, and that never works. You try to bring somebody else down to where you are, that never works. What we need to do with our regrets is admit the sins of our past. You know, accept that we're forgiven from it and move into a future, focused future uh, direction, saying, God, what's next for my life? God, what do you want me to do next? I, I talk to people all the time, who, who, and I say, hey, how, how's your life going? And immediately it goes back to the past. Are you one of those people that you're constantly, no matter where, where the conversation begins, it always takes you back to the past? Let me talk about where God wants to take you. Two things. God wants to do this with your regrets. He wants to cleanse your conscience. He wants you to stop feeling guilty about your conscience. Isaiah 1 and 18, the Lord says, Now let's settle the matter. You are stained red with sin, but I will wash you as clean as snow. Although your sins are deep red, you will be as white as wool. (laughs) That verse... I love that verse, uh, and if you heard it, uh, you've been in church a long time, or you heard it in an older translation, it says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. You know, I was, I was preaching here one time at Daystar, and um, it was between services, and I was getting me a snack. If I'm not in here when the service begins and, and the music's going, I'm probably eating a snack because I have a high metabolism. I like to eat before I preach. And I was in there eating a snack, and I spilled something on my lap, in a um, bad location for being out in front of people, okay? And it just left a mar stain there, and I was waiting on it to dry, and it didn't look any better. And I'm thinking, the church service is about to start. And you know, it wasn't a terrible, looking back, you know, it wasn't terrible. I probably should have just rolled with it because, you know, it's not, but I thought people would see it. And so I got a washcloth, and I got it wet, and I just was going to get that out. And I, and I just, I've got a hairdryer. Anyways, I don't need to go too deep into it. But I just... I just rubbed on that thing and just tried to get it all. And so a little tiny stain got like that big <laughs> on my britches. And then I was like, should I go home? Do I have time to go home? And then the music started, and it's already church time. And so, uh, you know, long story short, I just preached my message like this. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like one of those clog dancers because I move around a lot. You know, I just had to keep my hands. It's like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> uh, 
I'm not really good at dealing with stains, is, is my point. God's great at it. God doesn't make it bigger. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't rub it in. You know, he rubs it out. You know, he gets rid of it. He, he washes you clean, and he gets, he gets it out of your life. And see, if you can't accept God's forgiveness, what you're going to see is God's vengeance all the time. And everything that's going on in your life, all you see is like a mistake happens. Well, God did that to me because of what I did. Well, my, my marriage isn't going well. That's, that's my fault because of what I did. Everything you see is God's vengeance. But God literally said in Jeremiah, your sins I will remember no more. I, I want you to imagine, you know, you, you've just made a mistake. Come on up uh, with a piano. You've just made a mistake this week. You, you, you come and ask God's forgiveness. And God forbid, you know, you're in an awful car accident and you die tomorrow. And you stand before God and you're like, oh, I just did that awful thing yesterday. God, about that thing. You know what God's going to say? God's going to say, what thing? Because he says, I don't remember that stuff. Some of you have gone through some tough times in a marriage. And you've, you've lost your marriage. It's, you, you've divorced. And you, you carry some guilt about that. Because you know it was partially, at least partially your fault. And you've prayed about it and you've asked God's forgiveness. You said, God, you know I wasn't perfect in this. I made some mistakes. Would you forgive me? Let me tell you, when you get to heaven one day, and, and if you are to say, God, about that marriage, you know what God's going to say? What failed marriage? Because he literally, unlike anybody you know, says, I'm going to forget it. And so God's going to love you in spite of those things. God's going to love you just the way you are. But hear me well, he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. This is the rub for a lot of people. They want a God who loves us just the way we are, but does not realize that God created and formed you with everything in you for what he wants out of you. He put gifts and talents and abilities. He put opportunity in front of you because he expects something out of you. Not in a judgmental, you better get it right way, but in an encouraging, you can do it way. And so, so here's the last thing I want to tell you. Not only does he want to clean your conscience, write this down, he wants to change your character. He, he's not going to let you stay that way. See, there's a proper lie. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a popular lie in our world today that says of our sins, hey, I was born this way. And, and if God made me this way, God must be okay with me being this way because I was born this way. You know, we were all born sinners. We we're all born flawed individuals in need of a Savior. Can somebody say amen if that's right? We were all born that way. You know, I was born with a propensity, you know, toward knowing everything, having a controlling mentality, being selfish by nature and lustful in spirit. Nobody had to teach me those things. What I had to do was come to Christ so that He could change my character. He could make me into something that I could never be on my own. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that when you come to Christ, old things are gone and you become a new creation in Him. So here's the good news. Not only do you not have to feel guilty about the things you've done in the past, you don't have to continue to do the things that you've done in the past. You can be new. You can be a new creation. You can be something that you were not before. And the Bible says that with, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Because with God, all things are possible. I want you to hear me today. God wants you to leave here not only with no regret from your past, but also with no addiction. 
no stronghold in your life, nothing tying you to that old pattern. He says, I love you just like you are, but I love you too much to leave you like you are. And what I hope you will decide to do today is to reach up to heaven and be delivered to be set free. I don't care if everybody in your family has this same problem. I don't care if everybody you hang out with has this same problem. Join a small group and hang out with somebody else. But the fact that those people have that does not hold you in a cage that you're going to walk in that addiction. Everybody I know is promiscuous. That's just kind of the way the world is, preacher. Don't you understand? Let me tell you, God knows what you can be, not what you have been, but where you're going in this life. Well, everybody I know, you know, is into weed and we smoke or whatever we do. Or, you know, everybody I know, you know, drinks too much alcohol. Let me tell you, God's not about what you have to have been in the past. He knows you don't have to be what you have been. He knows you can be free from that. Everybody I know is in business for themselves and all the business owners. They have to lie on certain things. God knows you can succeed and be more than you've been. I don't know what it's been. I don't know, I don't know where you've come from. But here's what I know. Today is a day marked on God's calendar for you to leave the guilt and leave the lifestyle. The lifestyle that continues to bring you down. The lifestyle that continues to make you feel guilty. God says, I'll heal you of that. 